and uh, welcome to Ritson Road Alliance Church Online. My name is Chris Corbin, and I have the privilege of serving as the that 2021 would, be, would mean forgetting everything that happened in 2020. Uh, but in many ways, the situation of 2021 leaves us continuously discouraged and maybe even disillusioned about the hope we have for the future. I want to take a moment and read for you Psalm 84. Charles Spurgeon once said that Psalm 84 was the sweetest of the Psalms of peace. And it reads like this. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and a swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And it's an incredible song, because, and there's a truth that what happens when you become a Christ follower, something radical happens. You are given an eternal inheritance and a citizenship. As Christ followers, we are no longer living as those who are living merely in the moment, the here and now. We are living as those who belong to an eternal kingdom of God. And so as we read through Psalm 84, it can serve as a reminder of what God wants his kingdom to look like here and now. And it's a reminder that we should be a people and a church that reside in the house of our Lord, a people who praise him continuously. It's an invitation to allow the church and our own lives to be a safe place for outsiders, a home for those who are lost and a family for the broken. And it is an invitation for us to pray that as a church, we would be a place that bridges the gap between heaven and earth, where we meet with our God and we enjoy his presence together as a community. So I want to take a moment to start this service and just invite God to be present with us this morning. So would you join with me in a word of prayer? So Father God, we come to you this morning, and you are a loving God and you are a holy God. Through the work of your son Jesus and by your spirit that dwells in us, we can come with confidence into your presence. This morning, we invite your spirit among us to fill the places and the spaces that, are, that we are in right now, wherever we find ourselves. Lead us in truth and illuminate your words to us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you fill and anoint us this morning as you lead us in worship, as we honor and glorify the Father this morning. And we pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Would you join us in worshiping God?
Well, there's a story in the Bible that I want to tell you about. And uh, it's found in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of 2 Chronicles. It's a story about a man named Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was one of the kings of Judah. And for those of you who know a little bit of the history of the kings, Jehoshaphat was one of the good kings. Well, during Jehoshaphat's reign as king, a number of armies actually banded together and declared war on Judah. And this wasn't just a small army. In fact, the story of the scriptures tell us that it was a vast army. And as they were beginning to march towards Judah, Jehoshaphat actually received a warning that these armies were coming. People came and let him know that there was an army marching upon them. I think most of us would agree that we would have all liked a little bit of a warning about what was going to happen in this past year, wouldn't we? But nonetheless, Jehoshaphat, he got this advance warning. He was, he was warned in advance of this army was coming, and so he responded. And we can actually read about how Jehoshaphat responds in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Starting in verse 3, it says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord indeed. They came from every town in Judah to seek him. You see, Jehoshaphat, he begins to pray about their situation. His first instinct is to turn towards God and ask him, God, what should we do? At the end of Jehoshaphat's prayer, he says this in verse 12. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. As we continue to read, it actually says this. It says, all of the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. The entire tribe of Judah, the entire people came, not just the men, not just the priestly, the church going, every single person, both men, women, and even children came and stood before the Lord waiting for his instructions. And as these armies of the invading nations were marching towards them, the, the people, they turned to prayer. They didn't know what else to do. Maybe they could have responded, they could have acted out of an immediate response, but they turned to God. They turned to him and they waited with an expectancy for him to respond. If you continue to read the account, we actually find that God does come, in fact, answer Jehoshaphat and the prayers of the people. God tells him this, he says, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. God continues and he says this, he says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. I love this. After hearing the words of God, Jehoshaphat and all of the people worshipped God. The next day as they went out to battle, they began to sing they began to praise God through song and through worship. And as they sang and as they worshiped, God actually caused those invading armies to fight against each other. They began to beat up each other. They began to like turn on one another. And the people of Judah didn't even have to fight. They stood there watching as the enemies beat each other up and destroyed themselves. 
After the invading armies had beaten each other up, the people of Judah actually went out and collected all of the plunder that was left. And it took them a whole three days to collect all the plunder that had been left from these armies. On the fourth day, after they had taken all of this time, as they had watched all of this happen, as they had gathered and reaped the blessings of God, they joyfully praised him. And so the question is, is why am I telling you this story? Well, there are so many details in this story that I love. I love that Jehoshaphat's first instinct is to bring all the people together and to seek God. I love that God tells them that they won't even have to fight and they are in a sea of victory. I love that the people believed God when he told them this. That they took him at his word and that when they went into battle, they went in singing. They went in expecting God to do what he had promised and worshiping him for that. I wonder how many times do we head into battle singing, anticipating God will, is faithful to his word. I love that he told the armies, that, or after the, we're told that after the armies had built, beat each other up, that Jehoshaphat and the people went out and collected the plunder, and it took them three whole days to do it. What an incredible blessing. Not only did God defeat the armies that were invading Jehoshaphat, they received an actual blessing as well. And so while all of those things are great, <clears throat> what I love the most and I really want for you to see is that Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, it was what they did right from the beginning. Their hearts turned immediately to God. They sought God and they prayed. They prayed. This is what they did before they did anything else. They came to the Lord in prayer. As a denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Canada has a number of core values. And I would encourage you to read them sometime, but one of those core values is prayer. This is the foundation of who we are as a denomination. And more specifically than just prayer, it's we do nothing until we pray. I kind of wonder if maybe that stems a little bit from the story of King Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel, or the people of Judah. And it's so much a part of who we are as a denomination. It's a value and a principle that we try to reinforce in all of our workers. It's something we, we kind of drill it into our pastors. We kind of, we build it into those who are going to serve us in, as new workers and international workers uh, overseas. It's such a huge part of who we are. We want to be reminded that we do nothing until we pray. I'll be honest, I'm not always the best at that. I don't think any of us are, but it's something that we strive for. Prayer is also a huge part of who we are as Ritson Road Alliance Church. The vision of our church, quite simply, is this. As a community of Christ followers, we are devoted to knowing God, committed to loving one another, and focused on reaching the lost. Well, giving form and structure to that vision are actually nine core values of our own. And one of which is that we will be a people of prayer. <clears throat> and it's not that we are experts in any way. We don't claim to be proficient experts at prayer, that we have got it all figured out. But we recognize that this is an area in our church and in our lives that we are meant to continually grow in. It is meant to be an area that we see as important to us thriving as a church and as a denomination. 
And so for the next few weeks, I want to actually spend some time looking at this whole idea of prayer. One of the earliest memories I have of prayer was when I was about 13 years old. Um, I was sitting in a Sunday school class, and there was about four or five of us junior high boys sitting there. Our teacher was a guy named Randy, and I remember two things about Randy. The first one I remember about him was that he played trumpet, and the second thing I remember about him was that he liked to pray. And so here we are sitting in this Sunday school class, and it was near the end of the Sunday school class, and it wasn't going to be long before we had to head upstairs to, take, you know, to join the rest of the church service as it was get kicking off. And so at the end of this class, Randy starts to pray. After a minute or two of Randy praying, we realize that he has kind of gotten into this prayer. He has gotten lost, and it's almost as if he's forgotten where he is in a room full of junior high boys. And so, being the mature 13 and 14-year-old boys that we were, we started to time Randy's prayer. Now, this was before we had cell phones or anything that we could do, so we had our watches, and we just we started, started timing. And it was more than 10 minutes in, and we realized that Randy was still completely lost in this prayer. It wasn't until one of our children's workers came into the class to set up for the church service, the children's program of the church service, that Randy sort of snapped to attention and realized how long he had been praying. Finally, he said the word that we were all longing to hear, amen. We were really quick. We got out of there as fast as we could. But Randy had appreciated it. He had just lost all sense of where he was, and he had entered into this time of prayer. As a 13-year-old boy and new to the church and to the faith, I really had no clue what prayer was really about or why anyone would do it. And so I want you to take a moment and think about what comes to your mind when you think about prayer. What are the thoughts and emotions that are stirred up within you? Or what pictures and memories do you have in mind? I imagine you can all think of something. You have memories of what it is. Maybe it's a grandma who, who would sit faithfully and pray every single morning. Maybe it's of a boring church service where you were forced to sit through some long-winded Randy praying and you had no clue why or who he was praying to. But believe it or not, prayer is actually one of the most universal instincts. Most people at some point in their life will pray. Perhaps it's when they or a loved one is in a hospital. Or maybe it's when the world around them seems to be caving in. And, and so we just sort of throw out a general prayer, maybe not even knowing who or what we are praying to. But the reality is, is that at some point in our lives, almost all of us will pray in some way or form. So the question for us is, what is prayer? Well, quite simply put, prayer is talking to God. But it's not... It's actually talking with God. It's not just talking to God. It's not simply treating God as though he is some sort of cosmic Amazon that we can just give him our wish list and hope that he will re respond, that we will see an, an answer. We recognize that God does respond to these things. If we reflect back to the story of Jehoshaphat, we see that Jehoshaphat came to God with a request. But it wasn't that he just came to God with a request. He came seeking God. He didn't just dump his request on God and move on, hoping that somehow it's magically going to be fixed. 
He waited for God to respond. He wanted to hear what God had to say about the situation. He believed that there was a relationship there with God. And so prayer is a conversation. It's a relationship. And the goal of any kind of conversation is not simply to talk at another person. It's rather to experience and connect with one another. And it's been described, prayer has been described as simply the medium through which we experience and connect with God. It's how we form a relationship with him. It's how we connect and experience and know him. And so prayer actually becomes the place that our relationship with God can thrive and grow. It should be an exciting place that we want to go, a place where we, like my Sunday school teacher Randy, get lost. When we speak to those that we love, we want to spend time with them. We get lost in it. If you're sitting at the kitchen table with friends, gathering around and reminiscing, you almost don't want to get up and leave those situations. You, you stay long past your, your, you know, your curfew or your bedtime, long past what's rational and reasonable because you enjoy the company of those you're with. This is what our relationship with God should look like. This is what our prayer should look like. We should long to enter in. We should long to just sit and be in that moment. And so the question becomes, how do we get to a place where prayer is actually that kind of, has that kind of importance in our life? Well, I think the first thing that we can learn about this and understand is that prayer is learned. It, this is one of the most important steps in recognizing that prayer can be an important part of our lives is that it is a place that we can learn and develop. We don't have to have all of the answers right away. If you look through the scriptures and you look at the lives of the disciples, particularly in the book of Acts, we see that the church is beginning to grow. And we see that at one point that the, the disciples are so overwhelmed by the tasks that's in front of them that they are overwhelmed by all the day-to-day -day activities that in Acts chapter 6 we read this. It says the 12 disciples all gathered or the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. I love this in that we see the disciples They've come to a place where they recognize that prayer is one of the most important things they could be doing with their time and with their lives. Of all of the things that they could be doing, the ministry of the word and prayer were the two most important. But this wasn't always the case for the disciples. You see, this is something that disciples actually had to learn, and they learned from watching Jesus. For Jesus, prayer was vital. Luke actually demonstrates this to us in his gospel. If you flip over to Luke chapter 5, you'll read this. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You skip ahead a little bit, and in Luke chapter 6, we read this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Flip over a few more pages to Luke chapter 9. And we read this, it says, Once, when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? 
A few lines later in, in verse 28, it says, after, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. You see, prayer was the center of Jesus' life with God. It was part of his morning routine where he would go out to the lonely places, the quiet places. He made time for it, even in the midst of his busyness, even in the midst of crowds gathering around him, Jesus would often disappear to pray to his heavenly Father. It was so important to him that at times he stayed up all night praying. And as we read through the scriptures, as we read through the gospels and the story of Jesus, we see that prayer isn't a chore for Jesus. It doesn't seem like he's simply doing it out of a religious duty or obligation. He enjoys it. He thrives on it. He needs it. It is a part of his who he is. And then we come to Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and it says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And I love this. I love that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. D.L. Moody once said this. He said, I would rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. As you read through the account of Jesus and the disciples, Jesus did a lot of amazing things. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He preached the gospel. And the disciples would go on to have amazing ministries where they would do all of these same things. But one of the only things that Jesus' disciples ever asked him to teach them was how to do this, was how to pray. And I think it was because they started to catch that all of Jesus' kingdom ministry, all of his kingdom work was rooted in prayer and in his relationship with the Father. Everything he did was based on this connection and this experience with God. And as I was thinking about that, I began to feel like, this is our desire. This needs to be the desire of the church, where we would come to the place where we recognize the importance of prayer. That we should do nothing until we pray, until we have sought God, just like Jehoshaphat and just like Jesus. And what I love is that through the scriptures, we learn that we can ask Jesus to teach us how to pray. And so we're going to be doing that over the next few weeks. We are going to be asking Jesus to teach us how to pray. We're going to be walking through this. But I want to tell you this, that prayer is also like an art. So not only is it something that we learn, it, it, there, it's a little bit of an art form. And it comes in many different forms. It comes in many different mediums and even expressions. The reality is, is that there are a lot of different ways that we can pray. In fact, the scripture gives us a whole toolbox full of ways to pray. We can look at the early church fathers. We can look at the disciples. And some of the different ways that we know that we can pray or we learn about, and we're going to discuss some of them, include this. The Lord's Prayer. This is how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. We can learn about contemplative prayer or the prayer of examine. We have intercessory prayer. We have listening prayer. We have individual and corporate prayer. 
There's deliverance prayer, then there's prayer and fasting. And then there's also how do we respond to unanswered prayers or even the Psalms of lament. And there's so much more than just these. We have been given just a whole plethora of ways that we can actually experience and connect with God through prayer. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those different ways. But I want you to grasp this, though, that even though there are a lot of different ways to pray, that there are a lot of different methods and and expressions of what that prayer looks like, it's not about doing or saying the right thing. The end goal is life with God. This is the end goal of all prayer, is to experience Him, to be with God. It's about growing in your relationship with Him. It's about an intimacy with the God who created us, who loves us, who would send his son Jesus to die for us so that we can be with him. And the truth is, is that no matter how long you have been praying, no matter whether you are first, like this is the first time you've ever prayed, all you've ever done is throw up kind of Hail Mary prayers, you know, like you're just hoping somebody out there catches it. Or you've been praying for, you know, 40, 50, 60 plus years. There is always more that we can learn and experience through prayer. I love how Pete Gregg, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, puts it. He says this, We are at the start of an exciting adventure. There is nothing more exciting than really connecting and communicating with the living God. And so prayer is first learned. It's something that we can learn and grow in. Prayer is like an art. We have all sorts of different tools and expressions and mediums. But prayer is also like a push-up. Prayer is learning, like learning how to do push-ups. You don't just go from zero to 100 and, and try to sustain that. You build it up. You start small and you slowly increase and get better and, and strengthen yourself. Back in March or April, I was actually challenged by a friend to begin doing a push-up challenge. And through this push-up challenge, by the end of the year, it would take me to doing 365 push-ups every day. I remember when he first gave me this challenge, uh, I was doing a few push-ups. I had started, but I had my thoughts, and it was this. How on earth am I ever going to do that many push-ups? Like, 365 push-ups seems ridiculous. And not only that, but who would have time in their day to do 365 push-ups? Like, this is going to take forever. But I was intrigued. And I figured I would give it a try. Like, what, what does it hurt, right? If I, you know, I cave out after a little while, at least I've, I've given it a shot. And so I started. And when I started, I was able to do five sets of 10. 50 push-ups. That was what I could do, and I was maxed out. But as I continued to do those push-ups, as I continued to slowly add more and more push-ups each day, it wasn't long before I hit 100 push-ups. And then I was at 200 push-ups, And then I was at 400 push-ups. And now, about nine months later, I'm doing 700 push-ups every single day in less than an hour. And I'm amazed by that. And it's not meant to be a, 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 wow, look at Pastor Chris. He can do 700 push-ups. For me, it was a challenge because it was something that I never thought was possible. And push-ups are a lot like prayer. It's the same principles that we can apply to our prayer life. You see, most of the time when we get convicted that perhaps our prayer life isn't where it should be or where we want it to be, we decide, well, we need to instantly change all of our life. 
We're going to do it all at once. And so we set aside a huge block of time where we try to pray for everything that we can think of all at once. And so we might do that for a day or two, but eventually we find that we've prayed through everything. We've prayed and said everything that we can think about, and now all of a sudden there's nothing left, and we just feel exhausted. We cannot sustain going from zero to 100 or zero to 700 at once. And when that happens, we often feel like saying, well, now what, God? I have nothing left to say. I have nothing left to do. And we end up slipping back into old patterns of simply not praying. We get discouraged, and so we stop seeking conversation with God. If, if prayer is, like, is about experiencing and connecting with God, then it needs to become an integral part of our lives. And we need to build up to being able to spend long and loving times with him. I don't think God expects us to go from zero to 100 at once. I think he's delighted that we want to spend time with him, that we are making him a priority. It's an integral part of our lives. E.M. Bounds, who a famous author and pastor, wrote this. He said, prayer cannot be retired as a secondary force in this world. To do so is to retire God from moving in our lives, and it is to make God secondary. As followers of Jesus, our primary focus should be on God. It should be on our relationship with him. And so prayer needs to be our priority. So how do we get started? Well, there's a lot of ways that we can get started to make prayer a priority in our life. And it serves us to have some tools to get established. And so I want to set out a little bit of a, a framework, and this is just a suggestion for you. This is not something you absolutely have to do, but I would encourage you to set a time and a place to pray that is both quiet and distraction-free. You know, Jesus said, it says that Jesus would go off into lonely places, to quiet places in the mornings or different places. For me, that quiet, distraction-free place is usually after we have dropped our kids off at school and I can sit with my cup of coffee in my big comfy chair. With the kids at home doing online schooling, it means that I'm getting up about a half an hour earlier than I normally would so that I can have a little bit of peace and quiet. For Amanda, she has what she calls her prayer closet. It is literally our closet where she has set up a space where she is able to pray, to be quiet. She has a little bit of a, like there's the twinkle lights and that so that it's a, an intimate space. And our kids actually know that if, if mom is in the closet, it's because she is praying and spending time with God. Maybe for you, it means going for a walk or going for a drive, although, you know, I don't know how driving is distracting free, distracted, distraction free, but finding a place that works for you where you can have intentional time that is set aside to meet with God. It doesn't have to look one way or another. The second step to getting started would be this, is to set a modest goal. Set a goal that feels challenging and yet still doable. When I started the push-up challenge, I didn't go straight to 100 or 200 push-ups. I started with 50, five sets of 10. And I slowly added one or two more each and every day. And over time, I began to build into a little bit more times. But starting out, it was 50 push-ups was my goal. If I could do 50 push-ups, I had... I had I had met my goal, but it was challenging. 
So what I'm saying is don't start off with saying, I'm going to pray for four hours straight every single day, unless you're already at like three and a half hours every day. Start off small. Pick something that is modest but will challenge you. Maybe it's starting with something as short as 10 minutes and working up to 15 minutes every single day. The next thing is, is that you need to stay at it. We need to recognize that it won't always be easy to pray. Even if you find those times, those moments where then you've carved out in your schedule, this is when I'm going to meet with God. It's not going to always be easy. Sometimes we start out with great excitement. The first few days go well and they're awesome and we're, we're excited to meet with God. We're excited to enter into his presence. But then by like Wednesday or Thursday, your, your enthusiasm starts to fade a little bit. For others, it might seem hard at first, but you need to persevere. The first few days are, are difficult. You don't want to get up a half hour early. You don't want to like spend that time. But keep going. Keep pushing into it persevere, stay at it. And I want you to recognize that your mind will seize every opportunity to roam wild with random thoughts. You're going to have feelings come up that maybe you're wondering, what am I doing with this? Or memories, or there's going to be all sorts of distractions that come at you when you begin to pray. And that's okay. Maybe you just need that silent space to just sit and worship and, and sit and pray. And maybe all you begin with is all of those things that you need. It, sometimes we call that simple prayer. It's just asking God for all of the things that we can think of. And maybe that, that's a great place to start. But when all of those distractions begin to come and you, your mind starts to wander and you start to think about what you, know, what you need to cook or, or those kind of things, don't judge yourself for that. Don't feel bad. Don't give up or worry. Uh, when you notice that, when you notice your mind starting to wander, just recenter yourself. Bring yourself back with a word of prayer. God, help me to focus on you. Or possibly even, you know, those memories, those thoughts are triggers for things that you can pray about. We have a friend named Doug who, who tells a story about how he was trying to sit in prayer and he was trying to sit in silence and to focus on God. And he just kept <coughs> having these thoughts about, I need to pay my bills, I need to pay my bills. And he just couldn't get past those, that place. And so he went out, he stopped his praying, and he got ready, and he went, and he started paying his bills. He started writing some checks. And as he was doing that, he had the realization, maybe God is asking me to pray about my finances. And so he was able to then go back and center himself and say, okay, God, what, what do you want to show me about my finances? I surrender them to you. And so sometimes those distractions are actually invitations from God to enter in to further prayer. So when those things come, don't get distracted. Keep persevering. Keep going. Keep at it. And as you give, keep going, as you keep pressing in, as you continue to set aside that time daily to meet with God and to pray and to seek Him, and maybe you just need to sit in silence in awe and wonder, you're going to find that it becomes easier and it actually becomes more enjoyable. And maybe it will be quick where you realize, well, 15 minutes isn't enough. I need 20 minutes. I need 25. I need 30. I need an hour every single day to spend with God. And so the goal of our time over the next few weeks is that we would all grow in our relationship with God. That we would develop a desire to pray. That through this, that we would be better at hearing God's voice and regularly experiencing his presence. 
Jesus actually tells us that we can hear his voice. He is the good shepherd and we are the sheep and the sheep know his voice. And so the reality is, is that we actually can hear the voice of God. But it's something that we often have to train ourselves to do by spending time with him. We begin to recognize how he is speaking through our prayers. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to spend some time working through some questions for reflection. And I want to invite you to commit to setting aside some time each day to pray. Set that goal and commit to doing it this week. Whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe it's an hour for you. But to intentionally set aside time to connect and experience God. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father God, we come to you this morning, and what a privilege it is that we can do this, that we can pray to you, that we can talk to you and with you, that this is not just some random throwing words up into the sky and into the unknown, hoping that they will land somewhere. We are actually able to speak with and experience and encounter the living God. And so we come to you this morning with a heart similar to the disciples, recognizing that if we want to be successful in ministry, if we want to, to be able to learn how to pray in a way that we are able to experience you and respond and have you respond back, Lord, we need to ask you to teach us. And so that is our heart's desire, Lord, that you would, in fact, teach us how to pray and teach us to love prayer. And I thank you for the work that you have done, God, in our lives, that we can come to a place where we can even acknowledge and experience an opportunity to do that. So we give this week over to you. We give our time. And we ask you, Lord, that you would, as we set aside those moments of time and those blocks to pray to you, that you would actually speak to us. That we would connect with you and experience you. And grow in our love for you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.